0: Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. And also, Impact Wrestling. Um, This week, we're coming off the pay-per-view Extreme Rules from WWE and in WWE's world. Um, It's almost time, well, this week had the draft. And SmackDown had their portion of the draft, and they will be finishing their... Portion of the draft on Raw, but I'll get to who got drafted when it's time for me to cover SmackDown. But, let's get on with the show. First show we start off with is Monday Night Raw. The first match that happened on Monday Night Raw was the WWE Championship being defended. Big E defending the WWE Championship against Bobby Lashley. This match was all Lashley's. Lashley came into this match with a purpose, and that purpose was to become, again, the WWE Champion. However, this match ended in a DQ. Well, Lashley was on the ring apron, and Biggie hits his a signature spear to Lashley on the outside, which now has them both on the outside of the ring. However, once Biggie starts getting up, he sees two men standing there, and the two men are Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, who are wearing their Hurt Business t-shirts. Now, to give you guys some backstory on this, the Hurt Business was a group that ran Monday Night Raw from, I believe, uh, middle the summer of 2020 all the way to... March of 2021. That's whenever Bobby Lashley and MVP kicked out both Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander out of the hurt business. But since Biggie is now the WWE champion, it seems that Bobby Lashley needs help and he needs some new running mates again. So he called on, if not him, MVP, who hasn't been on Raw since he's got uh cracked ribs, called on the help of Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. Biggie is now looking at both of them, and he's in shock, just like the rest of the fans, because we don't understand why they're there, why they were in her business, because last time we checked, they were on bad terms with Bobby Lashley, but all is good. Uh, when Biggie gets back in the ring, he gets hit with a spine buster by Lashley. Lashley then looks over at Sheldon and gives him a smirk, so Sheldon and Lashley are now all good terms now, from at least Lashley's perspective. Lashley goes into the corner and now he's setting up for his pat and his spear and that's when Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods come down to the ring and attack both Shelton and Cedric. Now you got a brawl on your hands on the outside of the ring with those four men and then in the meantime you got Lashley hitting Biggie with the spear and he's covering Biggie and I ain't gonna lie. The referee counted to 2 and he's about to hit 3. You have Xavier Woods and Shelton Benjamin brawling and they fall over uh Bobby Lashley and Big E, and the referee sees this, he has the call for the bell, so Big E wins, well, Bobby Lashley wins the match by disqualification, but Big E retains the WWE Championship, and now you got Kofi, Xavier, Shelton, uh, Cedric Alexander, Big E, and Lashley all fighting in the ring, and this is just a whole big brawl to start off with Monday Night Raw. Adam Pearce comes out and he announces that this isn't going to end like this. That WWE Championship match isn't going to end like this. So later on tonight, you will get Big E going against Lashley inside a steel cage for the WWE Championship. And that was made official. After that, you got another singles competition. It is Andrew Garza with his cousin and tag partner Humberto Carrillo in his corner going against Eric with him in his corner. Ivar, his tag partner. Angel Garza does defeat Eric by pinfall. This happens when Eric was beating up on Angel Garza and he uh, was beating him up in the corner. Then Humberto gets on the ring apron and he looks like he's about to do something. But the referee and Eric both catches Humberto as he puts Angel Garza's tear away pants uh, back behind his back. It seemed like Garza, uh, not Garza, but Humberto was going to throw Garza's pants at Eric. But he gets caught, so Humberto starts getting down off the apron, and that's whenever Eric's tab partner Ivar starts walking up to Humberto. So now you got Humberto start walking away from Ivar, and Eric is seeing this. But as soon as Eric shifts his focus back to Andrew Garza and turns around to the body of Angel, Angel's standing up on his feet and he super kicks Eric in the face. And now Angel Garza has the perfect opportunity to hit Eric with the wing clipper and cover him for the pin, and that's how Angel Garza beat Eric. After this, they show a recap of Extreme Rules, the Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss match, and how Charlotte destroyed Lily after the match. That's whatever. After this, we get another singles match. It's for the 24-7 Championship, and is Reggie defending it against Ricochet. Uh, during this match, however, Drew Gulak and r Troop and Drake Maverick are shown in the crowd watching this match. And this match does end into disqualification. When Ricochet hits the Top Gun helo onto Reginald, or Reggie, on the outside of the ring, they both are on the ground in pain, and that's whenever Drake Maverick yells at Truth and Drew Gulak to go after them. Truth and Gulak jumped the barricade and attacked both men, which made the referee call for the bell, so Reggie retained his uh, 24-7 championship. Truth and Gulag then focus their attention onto Ricochet a lot. They start beating down a lot of Ricochet, leaving Reggie just to walk up the ramp and possibly even cower away with the championship. Drake sees this and gets on the walkie-talkie and he talks on it, and out comes Akira Tozawa from the back, from the back backstage, and Akira is now chasing Reggie into the ring. Reggie hits Akira Tozawa with a crossbody and. He's able to leave the ring that way, and Reginald Reggie is still your twenty four seven champion. And now we go to a backstage interview with Matt Riddle. Riddle is asked where is Randy. Riddle tells him that Randy took the week off because after his victory against AJ Styles, Riddle mentions how AJ, how Randy, also isn't here because he needs some time away from Riddle because Riddle's like the kid that asks too much questions or talks too much. You know he rambles on a lot and it just makes the parent just want to put tell the kid to be quiet or put their headphones on or do something. But anyway, Riddle does dedicate his uh match to Randy that he is going against AJ for tonight. And Riddle is just doing this whole long-winded speech about how Randy's his uh best friend and all this and all that. And then right behind him he gets stopped by Omaz and AJ who just staring at Riddle in complete and utter disgust. So that's your hype or build-up to this match later in the night with AJ Styles with Omos in his corner going against Matt Riddle. We go back to in-ring, and Akira Tozawa is still in the ring, and now he has a microphone in his hands. He says that he wants a match against anybody because he's just tired of always just being in the back, so he wasn't going to leave the ring until he's got a match. And boy, oh boy, does he get a match, and this is not a person that he wanted. Out comes Keith Lee, but Keith Lee's new moniker is Keith Bearcat Lee. And um, Keith just basically dominates Akira out. I mean, he makes Akira just feel like a little kid in the presence of a big, like, dominant, physical man. And at one point, Keith Lee even throws Akira out from one corner literally to the other corner of the ring. And he gives them with so much height in the air that it's you, you can go to YouTube and see it. It's just a sight to see how high Keith was able to throw Akira Tazawa into the air. But after Keith has his fun, Keith uh hits Akira Tazawa with the Big Bang Catastrophe and he covers him for the win. And that's all it is for that. Now we go backstage and now it's time for the new day. New day's back there. Kofi and Xavier are there with Big E. They're hyping Big E up. And Biggie's asked about his match later on tonight. And Biggie mentions, just like Babe Ruth, he called a shot two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, he cashed in the Money in the Bank uh, contract and became the WWE Champion. So tonight, he's doing the same thing. And he says he will beat Bobby Lashley in the steel case to still be the WWE Champion. After this, we get a United States Championship match. And the only way to win this match is by a pinfall or submission, meaning that ring count... ...is not a factor. Disqualification is not a factor. Anything goes. There must be a winner by pinfall submission. And it's between Damian Priest, the champion, and Sheamus. And this match was physical. And I mean a whole lot physical. And a whole lot more brutal than the usual match. Because they were able to use steel chairs, kendo sticks, and tables. And Sheamus and Priest did have welts on both of their backs. Sheamus had some on his thighs... And his back, Priest has some on his side of his uh ribs and on his back. I mean, these guys just laid it in. And I mean, they really laid it in with all their Kindlestick stick shots and chair shots. And really putting through each other through a whole lot of physical uh punishments. But in the end, however, Priest was able to uh put Sheamus through a table and picks him up and hits the reckoning on Sheamus. And pins him to retain his United States Championship. After this, we go backstage to the gorilla position, and Mansour is there, and he's met by his tag partner, Mustafa Ali. Ali's asked Mansour why would he ask for a six-man tag team match and have Jeff Hardy as their partner. Mansoor mentioned how Jeff Hardy is a tag team legend, and he's a tag team specialist, so it makes all the sense in the world for him to be our tag partner. Ali isn't happy with this, and he says that if he saw that face painting wearing Freak, and if he was here right now, he would say, and Jeff Hardy is right behind Mustafa, as he says all this, and he asks him, what would he say? Ali then looks at Jeff, and he says, uh, he will be excited to be teaming with you tonight. Ali just basically got his punk card pulled by Jeff Hardy, and Jeff Hardy is still that guy. After this, now it's time for the six-man tag team match. It is the team of Mansoor, Ali, and Jeff Hardy going against the team of... Indy Shear, which has Veer and Shanky and Jinder Mahal. Uh, Indy Shear and Jinder Mahal do win the match by pinfall when Veer was able to hit Ali with a clothesline and cover him for the win. There's nothing really to talk about here. The only thing that was of importance is that uh, Veer is showing off... Well, WWE wants to show off what Veer can do. And Veer is gradually... Uh, gaining more experience in the ring every time he's in the ring. So, good job for WWE to constantly uh, do that. After this, we get a backstage promo from Karrion Cross, and his whole main point is he's feeling good when he beats people up and dominates his opponents. Nothing much. After this, now it's time for a ring competition with Karrion Cross going against J- uh, Jackson Riker. Cross does win the match by the submission. This happens when Cross hits the Doomsday Suplex the Saito Suplex, and other companies, and followed it up with the cross jacket and made Riker tap out. Uh, This match was basically just to give Cross another win after they butcher his debut on Monday Night Raw. They're now trying to uh, play catch-up with Mr. Cross, so let's see how that works. After this, we get Dewdrop coming into the office of Pierce and Sonya Deville, and she asks them can she answer Charlotte Flair's open challenge for the Raw Women's Championship tonight. DeVille does give her the match, because she's beating Eva Marie twice, and Charlotte Flair won't see it coming, so they give Dude drop the match, so later on tonight, we will get Dude drop going against Charlotte for the Raw Women's Championship. We go backstage now to Bobby Lashley, who's just constantly pacing back and forth, and he talks about how Biggie cashed in the money in the bank on him when he just got through uh, having a grueling match with Randy Orton two weeks ago, and that how he wasn't at... Full 100% capacity, but tonight Bobby's in 100% capacity and he says he's going to beat Biggie to retain and win back his WWE Championship. Now it's time for in ring competition, and this time it's AJ Styles with Omos in his corner going against Riddle. AJ beats Riddle by a pinfall. This happened when Riddle was stalking AJ Styles, looking to hit him with the RKO as tribute to Randy. But AJ does get up, and he grabs Riddle in midair and uh, was able to catch him and hit the transition from an RKO into a burning hammer. And after that, AJ was able to then set up his Styles Clash on Riddle, hit him with it, and pin him for the win. After the match, however, Omos gets in the ring and slams Riddle just to put an exclamation point on it that AJ Styles and Omos is nowhere near done with Riddle and Randy Orton, and that they want back their Raw Tag Team Championship. Uh, After this, they play a video of Shayna Baszler attacking Nia Jax last week, just basically recapping the brutality that Shayna put Nia through. And now we go to Shayna Baszler walking backstage, and then she gets stopped and asked by an interviewer what she thought about when she hurt Nia Jax last week. Shayna just looks at the interviewer and then just stares at her for a brief moment, and then leaves. She doesn't say nothing to her. She just straights to leave. After this, we get now time for in-ring competition of the Raw Women's Championship match of Charlotte Flair going against Dewdrop. And Dewdrop was dominating this match a lot because Charlotte couldn't hit her power moves on somebody like Dewdrop Because Dewdrop was a bigger chick and Charlotte just couldn't power. If anything, Dewdrop was able to hit Charlotte with suplexes and get her moves off on Charlotte. And it looked like, to be honest with you, that we were going to get a new uh, Raw Women's Champion, but that doesn't happen. Charlotte does win the match when Eva Marie comes out. And Dewdrop was about to hit her senton on Charlotte, but Eva distracted uh, Drop, which allowed Charlotte to hit Dewdrop from behind and have dewdrop's head, well, her neck land on the rope. Which gave the opportunity for Charlotte to hit the national selection onto Dewdrop and Pinner and allowed her to retain her championship. After the match, Eva gets in the ring and taunts Dewdrop. And once Eva turns around, Charlotte strays just just clothesliner. Charlotte is making the statement that she doesn't want anybody to take the shine away from her because all the spotlight belongs onto Charlotte Flair. Now we go to a Home interview from Goldberg and Goldberg's whole main point of this, his whole, this whole interview is that Goldberg is still upset that Bobby put his son in the hurt lock at SummerSlam and Goldberg is telling Bobby that he's going to hurt him real bad and that he's going to enjoy every single waking moment of it when that time comes. So Goldberg's not for play play on this. Goldberg is going to come back with a vengeance on Bobby Lashley after Lashley put uh, his hands on Goldberg's son at SummerSlam, so uh, let's just see how that works whenever that time comes. After this, we go back to in-ring, and Eva Marie is standing in the ring, and she now has a mic in her hand. Eva claims that if she would have answered Charlotte Flair's Open Challenge, she would have become the WWE Raw Women's Champion. Eva is tired of being taken advantage of, and she said that she could have beat any woman in the back. And as soon as she says this, Eva tries to walk out of the ring, but Shayna Baszler's music hits. And Shayna Baszler walks right down to the ring, and she goes into Eva's face and put her right to sleep with the Coquita Clutch. Eva is going to sleep now, and Shayna lets go. Shayna pulls Eva out of the ring, and she straight up does the same thing that she did to Nia Jax last week. She fixed up Eva Marie's arm on the steel steps and jumps right on the arms to make it look like she broke Eva's arm, and Eva's now yelling in pain. So, this will probably take Eva Marie off television for at least a good bit. After this, however, we go backstage, and now we have an interview with the women's tag team champions, Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. They talk about not being the same, but they came together for a common goal, the common goal being uh, women's tag team champions, and that they're going to keep the women's tag team champions. Uh, Rhea says they aren't worried about the draft that's coming up on si- on uh, Friday night because they can go anywhere they want since they have the championships. And that's the, like, not weird thing, but that's the thing with those championships in particular. The Universal Championship, the WWE Championship, the tag team championships, whether it's a Raw or SmackDown, the United States or the Dakota Championships, they will be able to be switched on any brand and if you're a champion, you have to stay on that specific brand that you get drafted on. But if you're the women's tag team champions, you don't have to worry about the draft at all because you really will be able to even flow throughout any brand that you personally feel like. Anyway, now it's time for main event time: the steel cage match for the WWE Championship. Biggie again defending his championship against Bobby Lashley. But before the match could even begin, you have Bobby Lashley attacking Biggie outside of the steel cage before Biggie could even enter the steel cage. Bobby is beating up Big E all around the ring area. And, I mean, he Bobby throws E towards the steel cage. He picks him up and hits him, like, throws him literally into, like, the steel post. And then he even picks up the steel steps and hits Big E in the back. And all this happens before the match even begins. So it gives you the idea that Bobby Lashley is going to just beat Big E easily since he's already caused this much damage to Big E already. That isn't the case. Once both men are in the uh, ring and the door has shut and the referee rings the bell, Big E was able to come out and uh, dominate Bobby Lashley for a little bit until Lashley was able to fight back and beat down on Big E. But I'll say this match was about a good 60-40. Lashley still dominated the majority of it, but E was able to uh, fend off the attack of Lashley. Uh, at one point, Biggie is climbing the steel cage, and out comes the hurt business, Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. They go up to uh, climb the steel cage and you see them pushing Biggie back into the ring, and they're stopping Biggie from even leaving the ring by climbing through the climbing up and over through the steel cage. So Lashley sees this, and Lashley tries to escape through the door. And out comes Xavier Woods to pay penance for Lashley, and he slams the door right into Lashley's head, which stops him from leaving the steel cage. And this leads right back to a brawl again of the new day of Xavier Woods and Kofi going against the Hurt Business' own, Cedric and Shelton. And now they're fighting on the outside and all this type of stuff, and you still got Biggie and Lashley on the inside. But in the end, Bobby does try to escape the cage, going up to the corner and climbing up the steel cage, but Biggie meets him there, He's able to stop him and he even puts Lashley on his shoulder and hits a big ending from the second rope and covers Lashley and pins him to retain his WWE championship. So Biggie is still your WWE champion. After the match, however, once the steel cage is lifted up and Lashley's out of the ring and Biggie is celebrating still being champion, Drew McIntyre's music hits and he walks out onto the stage holding his sword and he does his whole thing by lifting it up and Pyro going off and he just points the sword right at Biggie, letting him know that he's next in line for the WWE Championship since Bobby Lashley no longer holds it because Drew could not challenge Bobby again after losing against Bobby at I believe one of the earlier pay-per-views of this year. So now that that's been cleared up uh, Drew has a completely open challenge. Drew has a complete like, walkway entry into the WWE Championship match. So, as it seems, we're going to get Big E going against uh, Drew later, or even earlier than we expected, but maybe that will all change when the draft hits. Who knows? Now it's time for NXT. Hit Row hits the ring and cuts a promo talking about NXT is all about the ladies tonight. Ashanti Diodonis promotes the NXT Women's and Women's Tag Team Championship matches that happens on later tonight. Isaiah mentions how his North American championship isn't on the line tonight again. And B-Fab mentions how the spotlight is on her tonight because B-Fab is going against Alexa Lopez in a no-disqualification match. And B-Fab mentions how she's going to beat the brakes off of Electra tonight. And then as soon as she says this, out comes Electra Lopez and the rest of Legado del Fantasma. And now it's time for the no-disqualification match. Uh, B-Fab with Hit Row in her corner. Going against Electra Lopez with Legado del Fantasma in her corner, Electra does beat B.Fab by pinfall. This happens when B.Fab sets up a chair, and once she turns around, Electra comes running directly at her, and hits a flying crossbody onto her, and B.Fab's body crashes right on the ladder—not the ladder, but the chair that she set up. So that makes the chair bend, and Electra then gets up and picks up B.Fab and um puts a chair in the middle of the ring and she slams B-Fab onto the chair but the way she slams her on it is by she has her on her shoulder and then draws B-Fab right on the chair topping like the back of the chair so her B-Fab stomach hits the chair top and that looks extremely painful. Alexa then picks up a B-Fab and hits a side slam powerbomb on her and gets the win. I mean B-Fab is still green so she was able to play with some toys here to get uh, to make the match. I'm not going to say enjoyable, but kind of enjoyable and kind of not like awkward. But again, BFab is still green. So, and with the talent and coaching that NXT has, it's not going to take Buff for so long before BFab becomes a solid professional wrestler because she has the charisma to do it. And I don't doubt it. But again, she is green. But let's give her some time. After this, they play a video of Index relaxing on their honeymoon. They have Index, which is Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis, sitting out on the beach, reading some papers or whatever. And then you get a flash over to Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae looking at them on a hotel balcony from their hotel room. Johnny mentions how everything has gone uh, good so far. Everything has been safe and harmless fun for Index, and Candace says, yeah, for now. Johnny asks her, what do you mean by that? Candace asks Johnny, "Doesn't don't you remember our honeymoon? Johnny says, yeah, with the grin on his face. And then you start seeing flashbacks of his wedding and the aftermath of it. You know what I mean? The adult and uh, parent activity. And Johnny just fixes his face and says he has to fix that and leaves to go fix it, and then they flash back over to Index, who's now in the water, they're enjoying each other's company, and then Indy happens to mention that she sees a shark fin, and she tells Dexter to pick her up, and they leave out of the water, and it turns out Johnny Gargano is that shark fin, he has a shark fin on his head, and he just did that to scare off uh, Indy and Dexter to kind of ruin their uh, time out there. And he says he's happy with himself after doing this. So that was the end of that video. And now we go back to in-ring. And there's Joe Gacy sitting in the ring. And uh, he has a microphone in his hand. So now it's time for his in-ring promo. He mentions how he wasn't getting canceled. Meaning his character of the PC guidance counselor. Uh, PC guidance counselor meaning that he wants everything to be to be political correct. Meaning the terms of a safe space and um, we cannot, we can figure everything out by using our words and not our fist. He mentions also how he became the biggest impact on NXT last week, more than Tommaso Ciampa, more than Braun Breaker, and more than any other superstar last week, and he didn't even have to even punch anybody because the internet was so riled up for this character of Joe Gacy, literally the internet wrestling community, was so riled up that they wanted joe gacy kind of to be off so vince i believe in my head isn't going to kill the character of joe gacy at least what this character represents because joe gacy is supposed to be a bad guy he's supposed to be representing a certain type of person so if it connects with these people the boom guess what he's still going to be on television ladies and gentlemen anyway getting back to it Gacy considers himself a higher person, and he mentions how he's here to bring about a new normal to NXT. And what that new normal is, I don't know, but we shall see in the uh upcoming weeks. After this, we get Zion Quinn going against uh Oni Lorkin. And Zion beats Oni by Pinfall. This happened when Zion hits a flying uh forearm, a running flying forearm, onto Oni Lorcan and pins him to cover him and wins the match. Uh, This match was basically to show off who Zion Quinn is. I haven't gotten nothing from him. only thing I do get from him is that he's a Samoan. He's not from the Anoyi family, which means the Roman Reigns, the Usos, the Yokozuna, the Rikishi family tree, or even the Rock family tree. He's not from that. He's his own Samoan. So we will see how he has to do in WWE. After this, we get a video package of Grayson Waller, He's a thrill seeker and he talks about he called a shot last week against Roderick Strong on NXT for the Cruiserweight Championship and tonight he's going to get it. So, and he mentions that he wants to become the Cruiserweight Champion tonight and we shall see if that happens later on. After this video package, we get an in-ring promo from MSK who are the NXT Tag Team Champions who have been on television for a good solid minute. Uh, They ask what's next for them. They reply they are going to continue to smoke the competition. They are still going to be at the top of the mountain, and anybody that tries to come up, they're going to get knocked back down. It doesn't matter if it's the old bulls of NXT or the new pups of NXT. They're all going to get dropped. Then out comes Grizzly Young Veterans, and they ask MSK where are their one-on-one singles tag team championship opportunity, and then you get the team of Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams coming out. Carmelo, who is still holding a shot at any NXT Championship match because he won the NXT Breakout Tournament, he teases that he might want tag team gold. And then you get the team of Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen. And you know where I'm going with this. If you got these many people out here, you know what's about to happen. A brawl happens. And you get the team of MSK beating up Grizzle Young Veterans and you get Brooks and Briggs beating up the team of Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams and then after it all you get MSK and Brooks and Briggs standing tall and next week it has been confirmed that it will be an eight man tag team match. The team of MSK and Brooks and Briggs going against the team of Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams and Grizzle Young Veterans those four against those four. It should be a solid match but we shall see especially with Trick Williams he hasn't been on been in a match at NXT, so we'll see how that uh fares and weighs into the equation. After this, we get a backstage interview with the NXT Women's Champion Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel mentions how Frankie Monet is a great opponent, but she's about to be another victim to Raquel Gonzalez. And as Raquel was speaking, you get the trio of Toxic Attraction walking by Raquel Gonzalez, and. J.C. Jane doesn't pay her no attention, Gigi Dolan doesn't pay her no attention, but Mandy Rose looks at Raquel and tells her that the title looks good on Raquel, but it will look even better on me. So that tells you that Mandy has her eyes set on the NXT Women's Championship match, but Raquel has to still focus on her attention onto Frankie Monet tonight. After this, now it's time for NXT Women's Tag Team Championship match of Zoe Starks and Eos Ride defending it against J.C. Jane and Gigi Dolan. And in that corner, Mandy Rose. Eos Rai and Zoe Starks win the match to retain their uh, championships. And this happened when Zoe hits her finish of a, I believe, tilt to world and then turn it into a knee to the face on JC. And then she goes and hits a crossbody on the outside to Gigi Dolan, who's on the outside of the ring. Eos Ryan then goes to the top turnbuckle and hits her patented moonsault and pins JC for the win. And after this, we get a video package of big old Braun Breaker. The main point of this video package is that he is here at NXT to become NXT champion. And he calls out Tommaso Champa by name. And he says he isn't a patient man. So this tells you that Braun Breaker, sooner or later, matter of fact, sooner rather than later, will be going against Tomaso for the NXT championship. And I tweeted this out. Braun Breaker sounds like his Uncle Scott Steiner. I mean, by God, this guy really is... A Steiner. I mean, yeah, sure, he's born a Steiner. He's Rick Steiner's kid. But if you were to see how he looks in the singlet that he wears, the singlet represents his family. His boots that he's wearing, I believe those are his father's boots. And his voice sounds like his Uncle Scott Steiner. I mean, if the next step is him uh, dyeing his either goatee or hair blonde, oh, yeah, we got a complete full Steiner on our hands. And I mean a full Scotty. And I tweeted out that Braun Breaker is Scott Steiner in another Timeline. Scott Steiner was an athletic guy, and he was big and bulky. And Braun Breaker is a big, bulky guy. And if he has the athleticism as his Uncle Scott, oh yeah, my tweet stands true. Braun Breaker is Scott Steiner in another timeline. But anyway, after this we get Tommaso Ciampa FaceTiming NXT to respond to the video package from Braun Breaker. Tommaso says he loved the video package and understands that Braun isn't a patient man. But Braun has to understand that. Tomaso took some time to win back the NXT championship that he never lost. Tommaso does break down the days, I believe it was like 900 and some odd days since he's held the NXT championship. And he says that he is never going to lose that again. So Tommaso does mention also that uh, Chapa versus Braun is going to happen sooner rather than later. But once it happens, Braun is going to drown in the experience from champa because champa is a veteran in professional wrestling so he's basically saying that braun isn't going to be able to hang with Tommaso, and Tommaso's is going to uh basically beat him and almost embarrass him in a way after this we go to in-ring competition and it's the match of andre chase going against boa with Ying in his corner and boa wins the wins this match by pinfall This happens when Boa kicks Andre in the chest and Andre rolls out of the ring and Andre is yelling at Boa and Boa wants to get at Andre but the referee stands in between Boa and tells him to stop before Boa can even leave the ring. Andre then goes up to Mei Ying and starts trash talking her and she ends up blowing mist into Andre's face. Andre quickly backs away from her and he's rubbing his eyes and he gets into the ring and as soon as he does this, Boa grabs him from behind and hits a fair falling Reverse DDT for the win. After this, we get Johnny Gargano going back to Candace, and he told her about his plan working, basically the shark fin. Candace asks Johnny, okay, where are they at now? Johnny says, they're probably going to their room. Candace tells Johnny, you know what's in a room, right? Johnny says, a bed. And then he quickly realizes, oh yeah, okay, I gotta go to their room. So Johnny goes to their room, he looks through their luggage, and then he finds, in the suitcase, protection. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean by protection. And he tell, and then he hears Index coming. And then he's now got to try to hide somewhere. He can't go underneath the bed, so he hides in their closet. Indy and Dexter go to their bedroom, and now they're on their bed, and now they're pillow fighting with each other. And Johnny hears them. He can't see them. He hears them, and the way they're sounding, he's assuming that they're having adult fun. And after the pillow fight happens, Andy says that she's tired and she tells Dexter that she wants to go fall asleep. So her and Dexter fall asleep right on the bed. Johnny sees this as a perfect opportunity to get out of the closet. He gets out of the closet and he's starting to walk out of there slowly. Dexter's eyes pop open so quick and he locks them with Johnny Gargano's eyes. And Dexter throws his thumb up in the air and Johnny does so too with a creepyish like awkward face on his face that he's making and Dexter in his other hand happens to lift up the exact protection that Johnny was uh seeing in his luggage and Dexter's kind of toying and taunting Johnny at this moment just trying to make it much more awkward and that's the end that you will get of the Johnny and uh index segments that you have for tonight on NXT. After this, now it's time for NXT Cruiserweight Championship match between Grayson Waller and Roderick Strong with the Diamond Mine in his corner. Roderick wins this match to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. This match was match of the night without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Grayson Waller had a good showing against Strong. I mean, even at one point, whenever Grayson rolled into the ring and hit a stunner onto Roderick Strong, it made it seem like the fans were in attendance. They... Thought that he was going to win the match because everybody was so hyped up. And you had Diamond Mind just yelling at Roddy to kick out of the pin. And Roderick does kick out of the pin. And you get Waller going to a corner behind Strong, waiting for Strong to get up. And once Strong gets up, Waller runs to Strong. And he leaps over Strong looking for some type of maneuver. But it just doesn't work out. And once he turns around, Strong hits him with a jumping knee to the face. And Waller goes down hard and... Strong covers him for the win, and that's how Roderick Strong beat Grayson Waller to retain the NXT Championship match. And also, Diamond Mind did not interfere in this match, not one single bit, so Roderick beat Grayson Waller all by himself. After this match, we go backstage to an interview with LA Knight, and he says that he is the uncrowned NXT champion, and he also mentioned why he challenged Odyssey Jones to a match next week. Knight mentions how Odyssey is some new guy here, and he isn't going to let a new guy just straight run his mouth about LA Knight and not do something about it. So Odyssey comes behind Knight and just taps him on the shoulder and tells him that Knight hasn't seen anybody like him before. And then out of nowhere, you get Andre Chase walking into the scene, and he's walking and cussing, talking about how the match should have been disqualification. He's just basically chanting how his match was unfair. And that distraction gives LA Knight the perfect opportunity to attack Jones and beat him down so bad that Odyssey Jones is on the ground just trying to, like, he was trying to grab air that has left his body. So you hear a whole lot of huffing and puffing from Jones. And Knight tells him, yeah, I've seen a lot of guys like you looking up on the ground looking at guys like me. After this, we get a backstage segment from Lash Legend. Apparently, this segment is to establish who Lash Legend is in her new talk show that she has lashing out, which is basically, I think, WWE's version of some type of... I'm not going to say Wendy Williams, because Wendy Williams is, well, maybe, but just a different version of Wendy Williams. But anyway, there was this segment was nothing to talk about, since this is the first segment that Lash Legend did uh, have, only that you did get from this is letting you know who Lash uh, Legend is, and... That she has a new talk show. After this, now it's time for an in-ring competition of Ridge Holland going against Kyle O'Reilly. But this match almost doesn't happen when Kyle attacks Ridge Holland as Ridge is making his entrance and Kyle attacks him from behind. But the match does happen. They brawl and then they just start hitting each other with moves and such and such. But Kyle does win the match by pinfall and this happened when Kyle was about, well, was about to drop the knee drop on Rich Holland as Kyle was perched on the top turnbuckle. But Pete Dunn comes down to the ring and he gets on the ring apron and he starts yelling at Kyle. And the referee goes over to Pete and tells Pete to get down off the ring. But Pete isn't trying to hear that. So Kyle gets off the top turnbuckle and he starts walking towards Pete and Rich Holland then sees this as an opportunity to grab Kyle Raleigh from behind and lift him up and try to hit the Emerald Fusion on him. But Kyle was able to get out of that and shove Rich Holland into Pete Dunn, who's still in the ring apron, and Pete falls down, and this sees Kyle roll up Holland for the win with a schoolboy. After the match, Kyle is attacked by both Rich Holland and Pete Dunn. And this continues to happen until Von Wagner comes down to the ring to a Kyle O'Reilly. Again, a new face that debuted two weeks ago that they want to let every fan know that, okay, this is the guy, another guy that we want to let you guys see who he is, let you know who he is, let you know that this is literally a new era of NXT here. After this, we get a video of Tony D'Angelo. And the main point of this is that he will be debuting on NXT next week. And we shall see what this uh, Mafia character has to offer. After this, it is now time for the main event of NXT, and it's for the NXT Women's Championship match. Frankie Monet with Jessica Maya and Robert Stone in her corner going against Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel wins the match and retains the NXT Women's Championship, and this happens when Raquel catches Frankie Monet uh, coming off the ropes, and Frankie was about to hit Raquel. Raquel with a boot to the head, but Raquel was able to catch the boot and lift up Frankie, Frankie Monet with the Chikona bomb and slammer, cover, pin her for the win. After the match, Frankie Monet is being helped out of the helped off the ring by Jessica May and Robert Stone. And Frankie Monet and the rest of her company are looking at Raquel Gonzalez, just staring at her Raquel in the ring. And then out comes toxic attraction. They come down behind Frankie and company, and they just stare at them. And Frankie and the rest of her company think that they have a clear passageway to leave the ring because Toxic Attraction tells her to leave. But they lie. They attack them from behind, and they beat down on Frankie Monet, Jesse Kamea, and Robert Stone and leave them laying at the ring, uh, ring ramp. After this happens, you get Toxic Attraction turning their focus right to Raquel Gonzalez and they circle the ring like hyenas. And Raquel knows what's about to happen, so she decides to make the first swing herself. So she has the women's championship in her cor- well, in her hands, and she swings it at Gigi Dolan and connects with it and hits her right in the head. And later, you will find out that Gigi's uh, head was cut open, and she's bleeding from the shot in the head. But then you leave J.C. Jane and Mandy Rose to come into the ring and attack Raquel Gonzalez. And Raquel was able to hold her own. I mean, she was beating up on both J.C. and Mandy, but all that changed whenever Gigi came from behind and chop-blocked her behind the knees and dropping Raquel Gonzalez. And now you got all the toxic attraction just mauling Raquel Gonzalez. Like, I mean, just mauling her. And you get Gigi holding up one arm, J.C. holding up another arm, Raquel Gonzalez, and now they're just holding her so Mandy Rose can hit her with her patented bicycle knee to the face. And this drops Raquel Gonzalez. So at the end of NXT, you got toxic attraction standing over the body of Raquel Gonzalez, and Mandy Rose looks at the NXT Women's Championship, lifts it up, and basically declares herself the new uh, number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, I'm glad NXT is trying to do new things. I mean, since we're in a new era, but Mandy Rose being the one, I'm not sure, I mean, yeah, sure, but hey, we shall see. I understand they're trying to make uh, new names, well, Ma- Mandy's kind of an old name, but she's getting a reinvention, but without being uh, too changing of her character, I mean, the only thing they changed was her blonde from going blonde to brunette, but other than that, I don't see too much of a change in Mandy's whole character, but time will tell. And that's the end of NXT. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. AEW Dynamite starts off with CM Punk coming out to the embrace of professional wrestling fans as he's joining commentary. Before he does that, he goes around the ring to slap hands and high-five and hug all the fans. And while he's doing this, the commentary table is putting over the fact that tonight it's all about Brody Lee, John Huber, who would have been making his AEW debut in Rochester, New York last year. Before the pandemic uh, kind of killed that off, but he still got to spend some time in AEW before he did, Uh, unfortunately, meet his passing at the end of 2020. But tonight is all about John Huber tonight. uh, The first match of tonight starts off with Adam Cole going against Jungle Boy. Adam Cole wins this fantastic match by pinfall. This happens when Jungle Boy has Adam locked into the SCF lock, but they call it the snare trap. And Adam was crawling to the bottom rope, and Jungle Boy sees this, and he pulls and brings Adam Cole back to the middle rope. And when this happens, Adam kicks Jungle Boy out of the ring, and once Jungle Boy gets back into the ring, Adam tries to hit him with a clothesline, but Jungle Boy ducks and goes behind Adam and grabs him by the waist, and Adam goes over to the referee, and now the referee's backs against the ropes, and Adam's pushed up on her, and the referee can't see nothing, so this allows Adam to lift up his leg, and back kick Jungle Boy directly in the Family Jewels. Jungle Boy drops uh, to the mat on his knees, and this allows Adam Cole to hit him with the boom, which is the last shot that it was referred to in NXT, which is basically a running, shining wizard to the back of the head. Adam Cole does this, and he covers Jungle Boy, and he pins him. Again, this was a fantastic match. It was a great opening match for AEW Dynamite. As soon as that match ends... The Super Elite comes out, which is Carl Anderson and Doc Gallus, who are the Impact Tag Team Champions. Kenny Omega, who is the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. The Young Bucks. Uh, Brandon Cutler and also Michael Michael Nakazawa. By his absence was Don Callis. Don Callis wasn't there. Weird to me, but nevertheless. Uh, Carl Anderson states that to be the Elite, you have to be the Impact Tag Team Champions. The AEW World Champion... Adam Cole, the greatest tag team that has ever been produced, which he calls the Young Bucks. And then Adam grabs the mic and says that he told everybody so, that he could beat Jungle Boy without nobody's help, and that since he's been in AEW, he has been undefeated. Omega gets the mic, and he mentions how his match with Daniel Bryan is one of the greatest matches of all time in AEW. He's been getting that shout out from fans, people within the industry, people who Trying to contact him on Facebook, Twitter, and he, he even said even MySpace. But Omega makes it clear that Brian couldn't get the job done and that there will be no rematch. As soon as he says there will be no rematch, Daniel, well, Brian Danielson's music hits and he walks out and stands on the ramp. Brian asks the fans, do they want a rematch? And they hit the yes chant. Brian says that he also wants a rematch, but apparently Kenny Omega doesn't have any balls. So Brian then gives Kenny the new nickname, Kenny No Balls Omega. And that's when all the fans start cheering and chanting, Kenny No Balls Omega. They start cheering. No, they start chanting, Kenny No Balls. So Kenny is so just apoplexy, so just upset in the ring, but you hear the elite try to calm down Kenny. And Brian says, you know what? Since Kenny has no balls, what about the rest of the elite? Who has the balls to step up and fight him on Rampage? Omega asks Brian, matter of fact, why are you waiting until Rampage? How about right now? Brian says, right now? Okay, that's fine. But I'm not coming out here alone, and he calls out his reinforcements, and out comes Jurassic Express, which is Marco Stunt, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. Kazarian, and Christian Cage, and then they rush down to the ring, and as soon as they get into the ring, the Super Elite leaves the ring, and it was later announced in the night that on AEW Rampage, Nick Jackson answered the call, so on AEW Rampage, it would be Nick Jackson going against Brian Danielson, and more than likely, that will probably be a great match. After this, we get a backstage interview from uh, the Lucha Brothers. And the Lucha Brothers are holding the AAA Tag Team Championships and the AEW Tag Team Championships. If you don't know what AAA is, AAA is the number two Mexican wrestling promotion down in Mexico. And as I said, they're the Tag Team Champions for that uh, company as well. But before any questions could be asked to them, they're interrupted by Andrade and his handler. Andrade congratulates... Uh, the Lucha Brothers for being tag team champions and he asks them, where's Pac? This still uh, is proven a point for Andrade to try to poke and prod the Lucha Brothers to try to leave Pac's side and kind of join him. The handler steps in and asks Andrade, is it okay for him to speak? And Andrade says, "Yes, yeah, sure. He tells the Lucha Brothers that they haven't defended the AAA tag team titles lately. And he says that we should change that. Andrade then mentions that he has luchadors that are ready to jump at the opportunity to go at those AAA tag team titles. So more than less, probably next week, or if not next week, the week following, we're probably going to get a AAA tag team uh, championship match on AEW. And I can't personally wait to see that because luchadors are different. They're not The standard, not Mexican, but American style wrestling where we see American mixed in with the British wrestling, which now mix in with Japanese strong style. When you get luchadors do their whole lucha libre thing, they are high flying. They get uh, power moves from time to time. But majority of their matches are nothing but high flying. And now they incorporate a whole lot of kicks. So whenever that match does happen on AEW Dynamite, because it will, uh, I can't wait to see it. After this, we get the tag team match of Matt Seidel and Dante Martin going against the team of Big Shoddy Lee Johnson and Cody Rhodes, and in their corner is Brandy Rhodes and Arn Anderson. Uh, The beginning of the match, Arn Anderson wanted Shoddy Lee to start the match off, but Cody kind of jumped the gun and he got into the match, so that kind of played a whole thing of Cody not listening to Arn, and Arn kind of getting frustrated, but in the end, Cody and Shoddy Lee Johnson do win the match by pinfall. This happens when Cody was getting beat up by Dante Martin. And Shoddy had to pull Cody over to the corner, tag himself in, and Shoddy Lee was able to hit a super kick and hook Dante Martin up for a brain buster, technically onto the knees, cover him for the win, and that's how they win. After the match, however... Cody and Shoddy Lee Johnson are about to be interviewed by Tony Schiavone in the ring. And Cody calls out Malachi Black and he wants to do this. But Arne tells Cody to shut up and stop talking. Arn tells Cody that Malachi has been destroying the Nightmare family ever since he got into AEW. He beat Cody the first time. He's ran roughshod over Shoddy Lee. He beat Dustin. He beat my son Brock. And the first time you got destroyed... And the second time, you didn't keep your eye on the ball because you checked on me and you weren't supposed to do that. You were supposed to go and finish him off. But R Anderson got on Cody's butt, especially with this one line that I'm about to let you guys hear right now because he tells everybody, and especially Cody, what the difference is between R Anderson and Cody Rhodes. You pull up to a red light, a man jerks your door open, says, out of the car, I'm taking your car. You say, okay, take it. Just don't hurt me. You know what I do? I pull out the Glock, put it on his forehead, and spill his brains all over the concrete. I'm Arn Anderson, and all that that implies. And I'll be damned if I'm going to coach a loser. Come on with me, Lee. At least you listen to me. Now, as you hear from Coach Arn, Arn isn't uh, pleased with losers and he's now kind of separated himself from Cody. And let's hope that Cody does uh take some advice from Arn. Basically, Arn is basically telling Cody that you need to get a killer instinct. You need to just double down and beat down on your opponent. You don't need to worry about me. You don't need to grandstand. You don't need to pump in circumstance for anybody. You need to go out there and be Cody. You need to go out there and be that killer. That's what you need to do instead of being this manby-pamby guy, whoever this guy is. I don't coach losers. I coach winners. So, with that being done, let's uh, hope that Cody does find this killer mean streak that he's needing, especially if he wants to go after Malachi Black in the future. After this, we get a six-man tag team match. The team of Darby Allen, John Moxley, and Eddie Kingston going against the team of Bear Country and Anthony Greeny. Darby Allen, John Moxley, and Eddie Kingston win the match by pinfall. Not a shocker. This happens when Moxley and Kingston hit the vi- hit the Violent Crown, which is a half Nelson, uh, clothesline combo, on Anthony Greeny for the win. Uh, this match just wants to highlight Darby and John and Kingston because apparently they needed a match on the card, and that's the only match that they needed. Technically, that they could just fill in, especially with three of their biggest stars. On AEW, so I'm not mad at that. Um, After this, they show a video package of Dr. Britt Baker and Ruby Soho. The main point of this is that Ruby mentions how she was robbed of the AEW Women's Championship last week in her championship match. Britt says that Ruby is now at the back of the line. She's not going to be able to come nowhere close to her AEW Women's Championship. Ruby does mention that she's going to make Britt pay for screwing her over last week. So, Britt Baker is still Women's Champion. Ruby Soho is out for vengeance. And we'll see how that works in the future. After this, we get a 16-man tag team match. Orange Cassidy and the whole Dark Order going against the Hardy family organization. And that is the private party, Butcher and the Blade, TH2, which consists of Jack Evans and Angelico, Matt Hardy, and a guy named... uh, I don't know my man's name like that, but he... Oh, no. Yoro Yoli. Joel He. I believe. Anywho, um, during the match, Dark Order were in uh, complete disarray. I mean, they've been building up with uh, some disagreements between Alex Reynolds and Evil Uno constantly from weeks on end. In this one, they had a little disagreement in the middle of the match, and Evil Uno just walked off, and he said that he's done with this, and he walks up the ramp. And as he's walking up the ramp, he's stopped by both Stu Grayson and Cole Cabana, who tell him that he needs... He needs to go back down there and help them in this match as they're getting their butt kicked by the HFO. Uh Uno continues to refute that he's not going back there. He's not going back down there until Brody Lee's wife and kid comes down there, negative one, along with Ty Conti and Anna J, and they meet him at the ramp. Negative one throws a roll of papers at Evil Uno the same way that his father, Brody Lee, did to Evil Uno on the YouTube uh show being the elite, their little uh skit would be that Brody Lee would throw a roll up of papers at Evil Uno for being a, well, being a screw up. And that's what evil that's what negative one is symbolizing to Evil Uno. And as soon as he does this, Brody Lee's wife or now widow goes up to Uno and tell him that he got to go back down there and fight. This isn't about them tonight. And Evil Uno looks at her and he goes back to the ring and he says, okay, we'll do it. Evil Uno goes back in the ring and now everything's going directly and according to plan and it goes straight to the finish and the finish is whenever Ivo Uno and... uh, Nope, not Evil Uno. The Dark Order clears house and Alex Reynolds and John Silver start hitting their tag team combo... On the poor Yura, uh the guy on the HFO. And before they pin him, they send him over to Evo Uno and Stu Grayson, who hit their tag team uh, finisher to the fatality. Then they cover the man and then they get the win. After the match, Brody Lee's wife, their son, Negative One, Ty Conti, and Anna Jay enter the ring. And Brody Lee's wife makes Alex Riddles and Evo Uno shake hands. And for now, the Dark Order are back on the same page. I'm not sure if they're going to be back on the same page next week or the weeks following. But for tonight, in the tribute of Brody Lee, their exalted one, their leader of the Dark Order, it seems that they're technically and temporarily on the same page. Now we get a video package of the new signee of AEW, Leo Rush. And the main point of this is that he's here to let everybody know that he's a man of money. He's a man that knows about finance, and if anything, he knows about how to get the money, what to do with it, how to flip it, and how to make more money for himself. So if anything, that's what you're going to see on AEW. Leah Rush being that star that he's meant to be and always has the possibility, and it just needed the platform to really show off his uh, star-making ability. Out of this, we get an FTR backstage uh, promo. And Dax mentioned how his father said that excuses are for the are the crutches for the weak and untalented. And Dax mentioned how this isn't a... Yeah, this might be an excuse, but they're not untalented and they're not weak. Because Dax almost lost his arm whenever he got his arm split open. And how they wanted to embarrass Sting and Darby Allin last week. And how they lost focus. But now that Tony Blanchard is back on top, steering the ship for the FTR, they're back on their way to success. Okay, after this, we get an in-ring promo now from Dan Lamberg and the Men of the Year. Dan does give Chris Jericho some props. He gives him some praise from taking AEW from a low-budget uh, wrestling company, which is a lie, and bringing it to the main uh, company that everybody really wants to go to. And he also talks about how Chris Jericho was able to get, take a beating from the men of the year in American Top Team last week. But again, he lost and he took a beating from American Top Team in the men of the year last week. Uh, Scorpio Sky, I think it's the microphone that mentions how AEW has hasn't been paying him any attention. And he then lists off his accomplishments that he has done in AEW. He's the first ever tag team champion. He became the face of the revolution by winning a ladder match at the beginning of the year called the face of the revolution. And how AEW has since then haven't paid him any attention. But now that he's with Dan Lambert, they have no other choice but to pay him attention. Ethan Page says that AEW doesn't like them because they don't swear, cuss, paint their face, and that they're not the prototypical flippy-do guys from AEW. Ethan says that they're no longer going to be overlooked in AEW because now they roll with winners. They roll with champions. American Top Team. So, we're more than likely going to see a whole lot of more Dan Lambert with the Men of the Year on AEW for the following months to come. Maybe. But, for now, we know that we're going to get Men of the Year and Dan Lambert, and probably even some members of American Top Team whenever they got time to do it. After this, we get a video package to hype up next week's match for Hikaru Shida and Serena D. And this is Hikaru Shida's Possibly 50th win in AEW next week if she does beat Serena D. So they're trying to hype that up. After this, we get a tag team match between Anna Jay and Ty Conti going against The Bunny and Penelope Ford. Ty Conti and Anna Jay do win the match whenever uh, Anna Jay was able to lock in the submission of the Queen Slayer, which is a sleeper hold onto Penelope Ford and make her pass out. After this, they play a video package of Jay Cargill, Nyla Rose, and Thunder Rosa to hype up their match on Rampage, which will be a triple threat, no disqualification match. And personally, I can't wait to see that because I know what Thunder Rosa can do because we saw her in the Lights Out match with Dr. Britt Baker. We know what Nyla Rose can do because we've seen her in, uh, I believe, No Holds Bars slash Street Fight matches with Hukaru Shida last year during the pandemic. And Jay Cargill, she's strong, so I would like to see what type of uh, damn what she can do with the steel chair or some type of kendo stick or whatever she can do I want to see what she can do with all these tools at her uh, display after this we get MGF with Warlow making their way down to the ring and MGF talks about uh, AEW is on the precipice of a new era he talks about how this company uh, is thriving and how MGF is doing whatever it takes to make this company thrive and MGF pulls back and says that there has been four young guys that has been the pillar of AEW since the beginning, and MJF mentions who those four guys were. He says, Jungle Boy, and then he immediately says, beat him. He says, Sammy Guevara, and then immediately says, beat him. And then he quickly says, Darby Allin, and then he mentions himself, the most important pillar of them all, MJF. He then says that uh, Tony Khan needs to start giving him what he wants, before he leaves AEW. And MGF even mentions how he has a certain man from his past in MLW that he can call up at any time for help. And that man being Bruce Pritchard. And if you don't know who Bruce Bruce Pritchard is, Bruce Pritchard is Brother Love back in the WWF days, and for any of my wrestling uh, historians. He's the first manager of the Undertaker when Undertaker did debut in Survivor Series of 1990 or 91, one of those two. Um. Anyway, and anywho, uh, MGF was about to go on another rant, but Darby Allen comes out, and Darby Allen gets in the ring and confronts MGF. Darby tells MGF that nobody cares if he goes and leaves; nobody will miss him. But Darby Allen is AEW for life and until death. Darby does happen to stick a knife into MGF when he says this one line. He asks MGF is he asks MGF, how is he the most strongest pillar? Whenever between the two of them, Darby Allen is the only one that has won championship gold in AEW between those two. At that point, you see MGF's eyes bogged out and he's starting to get really annoyed. And what I'm about to play to you is what mgf does best he's a real uh prick but you're about to hear exactly what mgf does best whenever he is real annoyed oh okay 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 sick burn darby you know what actually no let me take a step back i respect you darby because you're straight edge he is but do you people know why darby allen is straight edge well that's because when darby allen was but a wee little boy he decided to hop in the car with his drunken sloppy alcoholic uncle and they went for a little joyride and darby no you guys got into a little accident didn't you and your uncle died that night didn't he and that's a real travesty darby do you know why it's a travesty because that night the wrong man died once darby hears that darby's face quenched up and now he's trying to hold back, he's trying to make sure he doesn't do anything, he's collecting himself, and all the while, MGF is goading Darby to punch him in the face, but Darby doesn't give him that satisfaction, Darby tells MGF that MGF isn't going to break him mentally, and that's when MGF really loses it, he just says, I'm not going to break you, and then he, MGF in, he does something that he doesn't even really even do, he backs down, he tells Warlord, let's go, and get out of the ring, and he starts walking up the ramp, and he yells at Warlord, let's it go. So, Darby was able to literally break MGF. He was able to break the bully without giving the bully something that the bully wanted. And this is basically just a key point to show you that MGF is a true, legit bully, and that if you just don't give him what he wants, guess what? He will leave. But more than likely, he's not going to leave Darby Allen alone, not so much, because more or less, probably next week we're going to see him try to egg on Darby a little bit more, and then we're finally going to get our Darby Allen going against uh, MGF match within a couple weeks or within the next couple months, because they probably will build that up to their next pay per view full gear. But we shall see what happens when that uh, time code rolls around. Now it's time for the main event. TNT Championship match. The champion Miro to defend his championship against Sammy Guevara. Um, Sammy happens to beat Miro to become the new TNT champion. This happens when Miro hits his signature uh, Mashka kick to Sammy in the face and pins Sammy, but Sammy kicks out at two. Sammy then decides to roll out of ring to try to catch his breath and as Miro was about to lock in the game over. Miro sees this, and he decides to go to every top turnbuckle uh, corner and start to pull the padding off of all four corners. He does it to the first one, the second one, the third one, and as he's about to do it to the fourth one, Fuego Del Sol runs down to the ring and goes on the ramp and stops Miro from doing it. But in the meanwhile, Sammy's catching his breath, but Miro was able to punch Fuego in the face. Fuego drops. And this allows Sammy, the distraction, to run up behind Miro and hit him with a high knee. And Miro then hits his face onto the steel turnbuckle. Sammy gets Miro and hit him with a tornado DDT, paying tribute to his friend Fuego outside the ring. And then he sets uh, Miro up and hit him with the GTH. And then he goes to the top turnbuckle and he goes up there, hits a double bird salute to uh, Miro before he hits the 630 And he pins Miro, and now he is the new TNT champion. After the match, Fuego Del Sol gets in the ring and hands Sammy the championship the same way that Sammy handed Fuego the TNT, not the TNT, but his own AEW contract on the debut episode of AEW Dynamite. And every wrestler that has been on Sammy Guevara's vlog comes out there to celebrate with him. Marcos Dunn, Alan Angels, uh, Sean Dean, Fuego Del Sol... Uh, I believe even uh, uh, Griff Garrison. I mean, just guys that Sammy has helped put on his vlog on YouTube. They're out there to celebrate with Sammy because Sammy is such a good, genuine guy. And they're just so happy for him. And they leave with Confetti coming down out of the, coming down from the rafters. And Sammy Guevara is your new TNT champion for AEW. And that is how they end AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with a triple threat match. And the winner of this match will advance in the X-Division Championship Tournament. And the winner of this will get a slot into Bound for Glory. And the winner of that match at Bound for Glory will be the new X-Division Champion. The competitors in this match were Trey Miguel, Laredo Kid, and Alex Zane. Trey Miguel does win a match by pinfall. The times when Alex Zane hits an inverted f- forward uh, sidewalk slam on Laredo Kid and pins him. Trey Miguel sees this. He runs off the ropes and hits a high knee onto Alex Zane's chest to break up the pin. Zayn rolls out of the ring, and when this happens, Trey Miguel gets on the top turnbuckle. And as Laredo Kid is sitting up, Trey Miguel hits a meteor off the top rope onto Laredo Kid, and then he covers him for the win, and Trey Miguel has now advanced in the tournament. After this, we get a video of Matthew Raywalt, and he's giving praise to Laredo Kid for being a complete uh, artist in the ring, the way he moves, the way he flies around, and the way that he has the Mexican heritage of the mask. And he challenges him to a match next week because him, because Matthew feels himself as an artist as well. And he wants to show the world what those two artists can do in that ring. Now we go to a backstage promo from Eddie Edwards. He's talking about his match with W. Morrissey in the main event in the street fight. He says that this match will be the end of it once and for all. And he says that once he's done with Morrissey, he's after Moose next. After this, we get a number one contenders tag team match for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. It is Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering going against the Influence, which consists of Madison Rayne and Tennille Dashwood, with Caleb with the K in their corner. The Influence are your new number one contenders for the Knockouts Tag Team Championships. This happens when Caleb has Jordan Grace by the hair and the referee is distracted, and the Influence hit their double team uh, tag team finisher, which is now the stroke, the double team stroke on uh, Rachel Ellering and... Madison Rain pins Rachel for the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Christopher Daniels, the fallen angel, who has made his return back to Impact Wrestling. He said he's back because he's heard so much about this forbidden door and wanted to come back to Impact Wrestling. And since he was one of the people that helped build up Impact Wrestling, he felt that he had an obligation to come back to Impact. Josh Alexander walks up to him and thanks him for helping him out last week and is glad to see him back in Impact Christian walks up and says that Josh wouldn't have needed any help if he would have kept his eyes on the prize, which is Ace Austin in their match that he had last week. Josh and Christian are about to start slinging comments at one another, but Christopher Daniels stops them and tells them they need to be civil, especially since this is uh, Daniels' first night in Impact Wrestling. And Daniels then walks away, and now you got Christian and Josh just staring at one another. Christian tells Josh that he came down to help Josh last week, so Josh doesn't have any excuse for when he loses to Christian at Bound for Glory. Christian also tells Josh that he needs to get his emotions in check if he is going to be the Impact World Champion one day. After this, we get another backstage segment, but this time it's with Brian Myers and his learning tree, which consists of Ziggy Dice, Manny Lemons, and Sam Beal. He makes them do push-ups to improve their physical fitness, And once they're done doing their push-ups, they stand up and they see VSK just standing there. Sam Bill asks, why is VSK just standing there and didn't do any push-ups? And Myers says that he did his, but he did his 10 minutes ago and he's done earlier than you guys. Sam then asks Brian that some people think that he's playing favoritism towards VSK. Myers replied that I've taught VSK from scratch and everything that you guys are learning, he's already learned it. Myers also then goes on to blame them for costing him and VSK their tag team match last week. He then tells them that they need to shape up because there's going to be a roster cut if they don't. After this, we get a video from the Good Brothers. The main purpose is they're on vacation and they talk about how they need new uh, tag teams to face at Bound for Glory. And they propose a number one contenders tag team match between the team of Finjuice and bullet club and the winners will face them at bound for glory for the tag team championships after this we get a video of diana Perrazzo pulling up to mickey james farm diana Perrazzo does find mickey james in her barn and then once they see each other lock to eye they start fighting inside the barn you see them hit each other with red barrels they th- hit each other over and over again and then at one point diana parrazzo even tips over uh Mickey James wheelbarrow on her and it kind of hits Mickey in the arm a little bit. Ultimately, Deanna does stand tall whenever they're outside the barn and they're out in the actual grass and they're right next to a uh, water water I'm not water hose in a in a bucket that's full of water. Deanna Prazo dunks Mickey James' head in there and she holds her head in there for a couple seconds and then do it again and then goes back to do it again and now she lets go of Mickey and walks away. So Deanna Perrazzo has now beaten up Mickey at her house and Mickey James is beating up Deanna Perrazzo at her house and not her house literally but her house figuratively meaning at Impact Wrestling. After this we get a backstage promo from Finjuice. They talked about how last week they were overmatched by Bullet Club of Hikaleo. Uh, Chris Bay and the returning El Fantasma, and that they now found a plus one to take on Bullet Club, and that plus one is Chris Sabin, and they challenge Bullet Club to a six-man tag team match next week, and it does get accepted. So next week we will get Bullet Club going against Finn Juice and Chris Sabin. After this, we get an in-ring competition of Madman Fulton with Ace Austin in his corner going against Christopher Daniels. Christopher Daniels does win this match by pinfall. This happens when uh, he hits Madman Fulton with the Angel's Wings, and then he covers Madman Fulton, but Fulton kicks out at one. So this makes Daniel go over to the top turnbuckle, and he jumps off and hits a spinning STO on Madman Fulton. Then Daniels goes to another turnbuckle and goes over and hits the BME, the best moonsault ever, and he covers Madman Fulton, and he gets the win. Daniels and Fulton had a good match. Fulton was able to hang with a veteran like Daniels, but it was good just to see Christopher Daniels in the ring because he hasn't been in the ring since he and Chris Kazarian lost to the Young Bucks some months ago. So it was good to see Daniels back in the ring. After this, we get a backstage segment of Madman Fulton and Ace Austin going to Scott DeMore's office and trying to find him because during Madman Fulton's match, Josh Alexander came down to fight. Ace Austin and those two got in a brawl and they got sent up the back into the back uh, area. So they knock on Scott's door. They tell Scott that the inmates are running the asylum and they want to know what Scott's going to do about this. So Scott makes the an announcement that next week on Impact Wrestling, it will be a tag team match between Madman Fulton and Ace Austin going against the team of Christian Cage and Josh Alexander. After this, we get a Violence by Design promo, in ring promo. They call out Rhino and tell him that he has to make a choice. Either he sticks with Violence by Design, or he leaves them. But he knows that if he decides to leave them, he will be attacked in the process. Rhino comes out, he gets in the ring, and he doesn't have a microphone. He just ponders what he's going to do. All this is, while he's pondering, Eric Young tells Joe Doring and Deaner to surround Rhino. And he starts telling them that he needs to make a decision. Rhino still ponders. Eric tells Rhino that don't make him choose violence for him. And before they can even jump on Rhino, Heath comes back. I got kids. Heath Slater, baby, comes back. And he comes down to the ring. And before he even get in the ring, he's met by Diener. And Heath was able to take care of Diener real easily. And then as soon as he gets in the ring, he starts fighting off with big man Joe Doring. He's able to send Joe Doring out of the ring. And then Heath then focuses attention onto Eric Young. Eric Young sees this and then he quickly gets out of the ring. So now you got violence by design all walking up the ramp and just standing there and watching as Heath and Rhino are in the ring. Heath looks at Rhino and then he opens up his arm for a big old hug because that's supposed to be his boy, his best friend. But Rhino doesn't give him a hug. Rhino just leaves out of the ring and he doesn't leave with Heath. He just walks right through the crowd and Heath is just standing in the ring looking at all this, and he doesn't know what just happened. So, we're more likely going to see Heath versus Eric Young probably at Bound for Glory, and Rhino probably going to be in the middle of it somewhere. Uh, That's my prediction for that. And now it's time for the main event of Impact Wrestling. A street fight with Moose being banned from the whole entire match. Eddie Edwards going against W. Morrissey. Eddie does win this brutal street fight, and during the street fight, you saw them use chairs steel can, uh, trash cans, I mean, steel steps, baking sheets, and even a barbed wire steel chair. Eddie does win this match when, uh, his wife Alicia comes down and she hits Morrissey in the back with, uh, Kindle sticks. And this allowed Eddie to slam Morrissey with a powerbomb through chairs that were set up. And as Eddie was covering Morrissey, Morrissey kicks out at one. So Eddie tells Alicia to give him the kendo stick. And kendo, uh, Eddie starts hitting Morrissey with the kendo stick in the back so many times. And then Morrissey's dropped down to his knees. And Eddie Edwards was about to go into a corner and set up for the Boston Knee Party. But Alicia comes in and puts a, a, the barbed wire steel chair next to Morrissey's head and shoulder area. Eddie Edwards runs it, delivers the Boston Knee Party. Covers him for the win. After the match, Alicia and Eddie Edwards are holding each other's hands up in the air, but Moose comes into the ring and attacks Eddie Edwards from behind. And there's a table set up in the corner because Eddie Edwards or Morrissey set it up earlier in the match and it didn't get smashed through. So Moose decides to smash Eddie through the table by hitting him with a spear. Once this happens, Moose stands over Eddie Edwards. And Alicia goes over to check on Eddie and you see Morrissey get up and he taps Moose and Moose and Morrissey look at Alicia just hovering over Eddie. They walk over to her slowly and Alicia sees them. And now she's just panicking because she doesn't know what to do. And long and behold, Morrissey grabs Alicia up and you get Moose throwing Eddie Edwards out of the ring Moose grabs the two steel chairs that were in the ring. He throws them out of the ring. Moose then gets out of the ring. He puts uh, Eddie's head and shoulder area inside one of the chairs. He picks up Eddie, and he throws him into the uh, steel ring post, and it makes a sick thud. Eddie Edwards falls down with the chair still in position. Moose grabs the other chair that's on the floor. He grabs it, and he starts smacking that chair on Eddie Edwards' That has the uh, chair on him. And this further inflicts more damage onto Eddie Edwards. And all while this is happening, Alicia is being held by Morrissey to just stand there and watch as her husband's getting beat up by Moose. And she can't do nothing but just yell out, Eddie. So, she had to sit there, well basically stand there and watch as her husband got demolished. And after Moose was done... Uh, Morrissey let Alicia go and you got Moose and Morrissey walking up the ramp as Alicia is there just holding on to her husband. And that's how Impact ends with Eddie Edwards on the ground in severe pain as Moose and Morrissey are watching. Uh, Eddie just in a lot of pain. And that's the end of Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with the draft. The draft is where Raw and SmackDown for this night, and also they'll be continuing it on Monday night. Um, The draft is when Raw and SmackDown get to select members from each other's rosters as a whole, and even NXT, who they want to join their roster. It's just basically like the NFL draft and NBA draft. That's all it is. Um, Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville come out, and they introduce the first round of the draft. And the first pick goes to SmackDown. And the SmackDown, they pick the Universal Champion, Roman Reigns. And Raw then selects the WWE Champion, Big E. Then he goes back to SmackDown, and they pick, in a surprise twist, the Raw Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. So you would think, where I'm headed with this, Raw should be picking who? They should be picking the SmackDown Women's Champion, right? No, they pick Bianca Belair. So that ends the first round, so Raw gets... Big E, the WWE champion, and Bianca Belair, who's not a champion, while SmackDown on the other end gets the Universal champion, Roman Reigns, and the Raw Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Just want to throw you guys that one out there right now. Uh, After this happens, Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman comes out, and now it's time for Roman's whole in-ring promo because he's the man. Uh, Roman mentions how he's number one, not just because he was number one in the draft, but he is the one, the man of WWE. He is the head of the table, the tribal chief. You get the spiel, and he wants Baltimore to acknowledge him. And now it's time for Paul Heyman to get the mic. Paul Heyman mentions that before Extreme Rules happened, you could mention how the demon was undefeated. Now that isn't the case anymore because he went against a mountain of a man named Roman Reigns, and now the demon has been defeated. Paul then focuses his attention to roman reigns next challenger brock lesnar who they will have a match at crown jewel on october the 21st on a thursday and they're in another uh they're in another continent they're in the middle east i'll give more uh, details on that whenever it's been uh delegated paul then announces that roman will smash brock at crown jewel and that roman will still be the undisputed universal champion Once he says this, Brock Lesnar's music hits and Brock Lesnar walks down to the ring. Brock Lesnar, before he even gets in the ring, he starts circling the ring and he doesn't take his eyes off Roman and Roman doesn't do the same thing either. He keeps his eyes locked on Brock Lesnar. Brock gets into the ring and he immediately walks straight all up into Roman's face and he starts jaw jacking right into Roman. Roman's calm. But then Roman has the jaw jack with him. So now you got two big mehe- behemoths of men. Just jaw jacking one another. And Roman just throws the first punch to Brock Lesnar in the skull. Brock eats a couple punches. But then as soon as Roman throws another punch, Brock was able to duck out of it. And he goes right behind Roman Reigns. And you know where I'm headed with this. If you watch professional wrestling, if not for the new listeners, Brock Lesnar is going to hit Roman Reigns with ju- with a German suplex. That is Brock Lesnar's patented move that he goes to a lot in his matches. And even when he's not in matches, when he's in backstage brawls, not in backstage brawls, but in, in the brawls in the ring, German suplexes are his thing. So Roman's getting German suplexed. He gets German suplexed two or three times before the Usos come out to uh, save Roman. And while this is happening, Roman Reigns is able to roll out of the ring. And the Usos come in and they get hit immediately with a clothesline from Brock Lesnar, and then Brock immediately starts German suplexing them, and Roman is now on the uh, ring aisle, and he sees this, and he's just looking at it, and he's about to get back in the ring, and then he stops, and then he gets off the ring apron, and he says, I'm not doing it on your time, you're going to do this on my time, I'm the tribal chief, I'm the head of the table, you guys work around me. And Brock just shrugs that off and then he goes over and he starts F5-ing Jimmy Uso first. And then the camera pans over to Roman and you can hear Roman shout, don't you touch him, don't you touch him. And he's meaning Brock is about to touch Jay Uso, who Jay has been Roman Reigns' right-hand man since he bent the knee to Roman after Hell in a Cell uh, last year. So Brock hits the F5 on Jay, and Roman just looks in disgust and then he looks at Paul because now Roman is starting to feel that Paul has been his Judas, his deceiver all this time. And now he walks back up the ramp to the backstage and right behind him is Paul, him and Karen, the universal title right behind Roman Reigns. And let me just say the drama between Paul and Roman and Brock doesn't end tonight because it continues on later in the evening. After this, we get a backstage interview with the Raw Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Uh, Kayla asks Charlotte, since you are now on SmackDown, does this change any of your strategies going against any of these women on SmackDown? Charlotte tells Kayla that shouldn't she be congratulating Charlotte for being the number one overall draft pick for the women's division? Charlotte says that Fox knew that they had to pick the most decorated woman's competitor in WWE history and that her strategy doesn't change. She is Charlotte Flair. She is the queen and all will bow to the queen. And she hits it with her final tagline. All hail the queen. I mean, cool. After this, we get a match between Kevin Owens and Happy Corbin, who now has Madcap Moss in his corner. Madcap Moss is the guy that attacked uh, Kevin Owens last week. And he was formerly known as Riddick Moss on NXT. But he's now known as Madcap Moss. Uh, Happy Corbin does defeat Kevin Owens by pinfall. This happens when Owens went to the top turnbuckle. And was looking for some type of maneuver. I'll say the swanton. And Corbin was able to roll out of the ring. Owens then goes out of the ring and tries to grab Corbin. But as soon as Owens goes out of the ring... Moss walks up to Owens, the referee sees this and starts yelling at Moss, and Moss starts walking away saying, I ain't doing nothing, I'm not doing nothing. This is enough time for Corbin to get up and hit the end of days on Kevin Owens on the outside of the ring. Corbin then gets up and throws Kevin Owens back into the ring, and he hits the end of days on Owens again, but this time inside the ring and pins Owens for the win. After this, now it's time for the second round picks of the draft. SmackDown gets Drew McIntyre, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods. While Raw gets RK-Bro, who are the Raw Tag Team Champions, and the Rated-R Superstar, Edge. You should have heard when the fans booed the devil out of this pick selection for SmackDown whenever they got Kingston and Xavier Woods. Yes, you're at a SmackDown event. You would think you should be cheering that you guys got SmackDown. But no, they were booing it because... You guys didn't keep the New Day all together. You guys only had New Day together for, what, two weeks? A solid two weeks? But now they're again split up with Biggie being on Raw and now Kofi and Xavier being on SmackDown. The only saving grace is about this is that next week is the beginning of the King of the Ring tournament, and Xavier Woods has always wanted to be the King of the Ring. So with each member of the New Day having already uh gotten what they wanted, meaning Kofi got the WWE championship because the New Day was built all around Kofi being the WWE champion and Biggie being WWE champion now and everybody has always seen Biggie as a WWE champion caliber. Xavier wants to be the king of the ring. So with that tournament coming back, I can see them giving Kofi not Kofi but Xavier this. So the fans can say, okay, now the New Day have completed the trifecta and they finally got everything of what they wanted. But, we shall see what that happens. Uh, After this, we get a backstage interview with Drew McIntyre, and his mission statement is really clear. He's wants the Universal Championship. He was going after Roman Reigns. So, more or less, we're probably going to get a rematch of Drew going against Brock sometime soon, or we're going to get a rematch of last year's Survivor Series of Drew McIntyre going against Roman Reigns. Either way, I'm going to be happy with it. Uh, After this, we get an Edge in-ring segment, and Edge's main point is that he's coming out to answer Seth Rollins' challenge that he issued last week. Edge states that he's the only person on this current roster that has been around since the first episode of SmackDown. Edge also states that he's happy to be going to Raw because that means new challenges challenges for him to face and new opportunities. Edge then changes his attention directly towards Seth Rollins' He says Seth Rollins knows that he's not at 100%. Seth Rollins knows that Edge isn't cleared yet, medically cleared yet to compete in the ring. And that's the reason why Seth threw out that challenge. And Seth knows that if Edge accepts, Seth will have an advantage. But Edge does say that he's on his way to being 100%. And he wants to call out Seth Rollins right now to just fight. Once that happens, we hear Seth's laugh and cackle that he has. But we don't see Seth coming down to the ring. We see the camera pan over directly to the Titantron, and it's Seth Rollins, who isn't backstage. He's at a remote location. Seth mentions that he's not at SmackDown, and he mentions, and he tells everybody where he's at. He's at Edge's household. You see the outside. You see where it says his uh family's name on the door, and Edge immediately flips out, and he gets out of the ring, and he runs directly to the back. Seth knocks on the door thinking that Beth Phoenix is there with the kids and he just starts saying, Beth, open the door, Beth. He opens up the door and he walks right through. And Seth even said that you guys need to lock your doors, man. You guys live in a... I know you guys don't live next to people, but by God, you need to start locking your door. Meaning the door is unlocked. Seth throws his coat onto Edge's Kitchen counter, he goes into their refrigerator, grabs an apple, and grabs their orange jug, orange juice jug. I tweeted out Seth's a menace. Let me tell you something. Seth doesn't rinse out, rinse off the apple before he eats it. He just straight up just eats it as soon as he gets it out the refrigerator, and then he grabs the orange juice jug and he doesn't even pour it in a cup or anything. No, he just straight up drinks it out the bottle, and it's already halfway empty already. I mean, Seth's a legit menace. I mean, we live in a COVID time, my man. I'm not saying Edge and his family has it, but come on, you're taking a risk with just drinking out of other people's uh, jugs, let's be honest. And rinsing off an apple, I think that's just a natural thing to do. But again, Seth Rollins in this whole situation is a menace for everything that he's doing, but also he left the door open and he left the refrigerator door open as well. It's nighttime, bro. You got moths and everything coming to somebody's house. Like I said, Seth's a menace. Uh, Seth goes into their living room and he jumps right on Edge's chair and he says that he's going to be there all night. Then after the video gets done, we see Edge backstage and he's calling up his wife and he's making sure that she's not home. He tells her to go to her brother's house and he has people going over to the house right now to get Seth Rollins out of there. I mean, again, Seth is showing you that he's a menace to Edge and that he just doesn't care. He's trying to make Edge's life completely miserable. Almost the exact same way that Edge used to do way back in the day, especially to whenever he had a feed with John Cena in 2006. Yeah, so it's kind of karma for years ago, but here, uh, it's not here nor there. After this, though, we get an in ring, we were supposed to get a one on one competition between Liv Morgan and Carmella. But that doesn't happen because as soon as the match is about to get underway, uh, Liv goes for a headlock, but Carmella gets out of the ring and she gets the microphone. She calls Liv a female dog and says that she's never going to get another opportunity to attack her face ever again. And so she has women come out there and put a face mask on her, a bedazzled out face mask on her. And then Liv Morgan and everybody else is kind of wondering why she's doing this. Carmella gets back into the ring, and she just immediately starts attacking Liv Morgan. She hits her in the face, and then she super kicks her in the face. She grabs her and hits her with a face buster. And the match never happens. This was just basically a beatdown. After that, we get the third round picks of the draft. And SmackDown gets Happy Corbin, Madcap Moss, his running mate and Hit Row. If you don't know who Hit Row is, Hit Row are four individuals from NXT. It's B-Fab, Ashanti Diodonis, Top Dollar, and the NXT North American Champion Isaiah Swerve Scott. While Raw, on the other hand, gets the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. and Keith Bearcat Lee. After this, we get an eight-man tag team match. The Dirty Dogs Dolph Ziggler and Rod Robert Roode, teaming up with American Alpha's own Chad Gable and Otis, going against the Street Profits and Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston. The Street Profits in the New Day, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods went by pinfall. This happens when Kofi and Xavier hit their tag team finisher, the Up Up Down Down, on Robert Roode, and they pin him for the win. It was a solid eight man tag team match. It was it was good. Uh, it was entertaining. After this, we get the last uh, round of the night, the last picks of the night as well. Because remember, Raw does continue this draft whenever this upcoming Raw happens. Uh, On SmackDown, SmackDown gets Naomi and Jeff Hardy, while Raw gets Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio, and Austin Theory. And also, I want everybody to remember that the draft, the results of the draft, meaning that the people that they get The roster doesn't take into full effect until the day after Crown Jewel happens. I don't know why they did that, but that's what they decided to do. After this, we go backstage and we have Kayla. She's about to interview Jeff Hardy, but he's interrupted by Brock Lesnar. And Brock grabs the microphone from Kayla and he says that he is a free agent, all thanks to his good friend, Paul Heyman. And when Brock breaks down what free agent means, it means Brock Lesnar can do whatever he wants. And he says again, thanks to my good friend, Paul Heyman. And he says it right into the camera and even winks a smile. And then the, then out of nowhere, the video transmission goes directly over, transitions over to Roman Reigns' locker room. And in his locker room are the Usos himself and Paul Heyman in a chair. Now, Roman Reigns asks Paul, is he good friends with Brock Lesnar? And Paul doesn't shake his head. He does nothing. He just takes his hand down off his face and it looks like Paul has been crying. And then Roman asks Paul, are we good friends? Paul says, you're my tribal chief. Roman then asks Paul, were well, my cousins drafted to SmackDown tonight? Your cousins will be drafted to SmackDown on Monday at Raw. It, it, it's yeah. all figured out. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strategy. they are manipulations it's, it's a strategy. It's a negotiation. A negotiation. A, a negotiation. Happened, a negotiation. Uh, behind the scenes. My tribal By chief. I, my tribal chief. I am the wise man. He's the, he's the, wise, he's the wise man. He's my wise man. He's our wise man. He's, he's the wise man. You're the wise man when I say you're the wise man. Please don't do this. All right, wise man. Let's follow the strategy. Let's stick to the plan. I want you to go to Raw on Monday, and I want you to make sure that my cousins are drafted to SmackDown. Do you understand? Yes, my tribal chief. Now, as you can hear from that, the tribal chief wasn't happy that his cousins weren't drafted along with him on this first night. And you know, as you're also going to hear that uh, the tribal chief still has some uh, resentment towards Paul. So once Paul left, the actual room. Roman then goes over to the Usos and tells them I want y'all to go with him and I want to make it very clear that you're to be drafted to Smackdown and if you're not leave him for dead at Raw. So now the Usos have their marching orders for Roman too and I guarantee you if the Usos aren't drafted over on uh, Raw to Smackdown this upcoming Raw Yeah, Paul's going to have to deal with a whole lot of consequences on Monday Night Raw. But that will get there whenever uh, Raw happens this upcoming week. Now it's time for the main event of SmackDown. uh, The WrestleMania rematch that we were supposed to get at, SummerSlam, Bianca Belair going against Sasha Banks, and Becky Lynch was on commentary for this match, and this match was amazing. It was better than a lot of female matches, but... Again, this is Bianca Belair, and this is Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks could have a match with a lot of female wrestlers, and she'll still put out a good product. And Bianca Belair, same thing. Bianca is still kind of still new, but she's gained a whole lot of experience since she's been like on the main roster and also worked with a lot of main uh, quality talent, even though she was in NXT for some time. But since she's been on the main roster, she's been able to hold her own and just let the crowd carry her through for certain things and allowed the crowd to be on this ride that she's been on. So, again, this is a great uh women's match to main event, SmackDown. Um, Sasha does win the match, and this is because when uh Sasha was trying to powerbomb Bianca Belair off the ring apron onto the uh floor on the outside, Bianca's able to get out of that and backflip and land on her feet, but she almost lands... On Becky, she lands literally next to Becky, and then Becky and Bianca start jaw jacking with one another. And Sasha sees this as a perfect opportunity to try to attack Bianca, but Bianca is able to catch uh, Sasha and hit her with a spine buster on the barricade. Bianca then throws Sasha back into the ring, and then Bianca gets right back in the face of Becky, and they still continue to jawjack with one another. And Bianca then walks away from Becky and gets back into the ring. And Becky sees it as an opportunity to walk up and lean on Bianca's braid, which is still kind of hanging on the outside. So Bianca's kind of staying in place and she's trying and she can't move because Becky's leaning on the braid. So Sasha runs up behind Bianca, roll her up and get her for the pin. And that's how Sasha wins This match, and it was announced that at Crown Jewel, it will be a triple threat match between Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, and Becky for the SmackDown Women's Championship. After the match, Charlotte gets in the ring in big boots, both Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, one after the other. And this leaves Charlotte in the ring by herself, and she lifts up the Raw Women's Championship. Becky sees this, and she gets on the commentary table and lifts up the SmackDown Women's Championship. And Charlotte just kind of brushes Becky off like an afterthought. So your final images were Charlotte Flair holding up the Raw Women's Championship and Becky Lynch holding up the SmackDown Women's Championship. And we still got Raw next, well, this upcoming week, days following up uh, with their side of the draft, with the remaining of the draft. And we're going to have to see if Becky gets drafted over with the SmackDown Women's Championship. And if so, we'll just have to see, will they be doing a trade-off of the championships or we'll just have to really see until after crown jewel because that's whenever all this stuff really, really gets like put in place and everybody gets to stay on that roster solid after crown jewel. But anyway, that was SmackDown. Now on to AEW rampage rampage starts with Brian Danielson going against Nick Jackson and Nick Jackson has Matt Jackson and Brandon Cutler in his corner and this was a great opening match for Rampage. Um, Brian Danielson beats uh, Nick by submission. And this happens whenever he takes out both Brandon Cutler and Matt Jackson later on in the match. And then Brian was able to hit a tiger suplex and then transition it over into a hammer and anvil strikes. And then he was able to lock in the cattle mutilation on Nick Jackson and Nick taps out. Again, this was a great one-on-one match. Nick was able to take it to Brian Danielson, but Brian just happens to be a superior uh, one-on-one wrestler than Nick Jackson. After the match, Kenny Omega and Adam Cole then come down to check on Nick because he just got through with a grueling match with Brian Danielson. And then out of nowhere, Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus start coming down to check on Brian because well, Brian might get attacked by the Elite. Matt Jackson walks over to Christian and he starts jaw jacking to Christian and Christian straight up just punched him directly in the face. And you know where this is headed? A brawl ensues. The only person that doesn't get inside the brawl is Kenny Omega because he rolls out of the ring and he gets on the ring ramp and he watches all this in uh, chaos ensues. And Christian hits Matt Jackson with a kill switch. Luchasaurus hits a roundhouse kick onto Nick Jackson and Jungle Boy locks in the snare trap, which is the STF on Adam Cole in the middle of the ring, and Adam is screaming for Kenny to save him. And Brian Daniels says, not says, but he looks at Kenny and then he opens up the ring ropes like, "You want to come in here and try to save your boy? Come on, try, try." And the fans are chanting for Kenny to try to do something. Kenny isn't trying to do something, but he says, "Screw it." He gets in there, and as soon as he gets in there, he gets locked in the La Lock by. Brian Danielson. So now you got Brian Danielson and Jungle Boy locking in their submission holes on Kenny Omega and Adam Cole. And both Kenny Omega and Adam Cole both tap out in the middle of the ring. And you get Jungle Boy and Brian Danielson releasing their submissions and letting them get out of the ring. And your final image of that is Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, and Brian Danielson standing tall in the ring. After this, we get a video package from Hook and Powerhouse Hobbs who has a message from Ricky Starks to Brian Cage. The main point of this message is that just because you have big muscles, that doesn't mean that you're going to beat someone like Ricky Starks. And Ricky Starks is here to prove that he's better than Brian Cage. I'm wondering, is Ricky hurt or something? Because he is not in ring. He's not wrestling. He's not on Dynamite. I'm not sure he was on the... uh, elevation or dark elevation on youtube i'm not sure but on television where ricky star should be because he's a television guy he's made for television he's not on tv the only time he is is like on commentary so i don't know if he's injured or not but i wish they would like put it out to the public so we can just like all right he's injured we understand what they're doing after this we get a triple threat match and there's a no disqualification because they really want you to understand that It's Jay Cargill with her manager out there, Smart Mark Sterling, going against Nyla Rose with her manager, Vicky Guerrero, going against Thunder Rosa. Jay Cargill wins the match by pinfall, and this happens when Thunder Rosa puts Nyla Rose through a table outside of the ring whenever Thunder Rosa was on the ring apron and Nyla Rose was on the second turnbuckle and Thunder Rosa was able to powerbomb Nyla through the uh, table on the outside. Thunder Rosa tries to get Nala Rose back into the ring, but Jay Cargill sees this, and uh, her manager, Mark, gives her a chair, and Jay starts hitting Thunder Rosa in the back with a chair multiple times. She drops the chair and then pins Thunder Rosa to get the win. Uh, whenever you do see those chair shots, those chair shots were soft. They didn't even look like they connected with Thunder Rosa, so Jay was really taking care of Thunder Rosa, but the camera caught and picked up on that, so... They're going to have to tweak that a little bit and not in post because it's already out there. But whenever somebody has to throw a chair shot, you got to connect with it. There's no like way you can do about it without it looking crappy on uh, camera. So I know they're going to somebody's going to talk to Jade about that. I know somebody is because she's still new. She's still green. She's still learning on the job. So they're not going to be too harsh on her, but they're going to tell her hey, next time you're going to have you're going to have to hit her. Uh, but this was a solid triple threat match. You had uh trash cans, you had steel chairs, and you had tables. What more can you ask for? After this, we get a video of Malachi Black. And he wants Cody to know that he doesn't have what it takes to beat someone like him. And he wants to let the rest of the roster know that they have a penance to pay. They have a, to pay the toll. I don't know what that is. Meaning that whenever Malachi Black comes around, uh, you're making your maker. That's the only thing I can get off that. They also play a video of Sammy Guevara, who's the new TNT champion, and he's talking about how people are coming out left and right to try to challenge him for the TNT championship. And the first person that is already challenging him that will be going against Sammy Guevara on the next episode of AEW Dynamite is Bobby Fish, who is signed with MLW, and Sammy accepts. After this, now it's time for the main event. Hair versus hair match between Orange Cassidy and Jack Evans with Matt Hardy in this corner. Long story short, Orange Cassidy beats Jack Evans by Pinfall. This happens when the best friends in the uh, Dark Order are right at ringside. They're right in front of the initial ring where you try to slide in. And they are stopping the Hardy family organization from interfering in this match. And Matt Hardy's trying his best to try to send his men down there, but the dark order and best friends are just there to make sure that orange cassidy and jack evans have a straight clean on one on one and in the end jack evans ends up arguing with the referee about something and then he turns around and he gets hit with an orange punch by orange cassidy orange cassidy pins him and now orange cassidy wins and jack evans now has to get his hair his head shaved uh orange cassidy does cut off uh jack evans ponytail Because Jack Evans had a mock ponytail when he entered this match. And then Wheeler Yuta had a barber's clipper and start cutting off some of Jack Evans' hair. So next time we will see Jack Evans on AEW Dynamite or Rampage or Elevation. Or next time you just see Jack Evans in general on AEW Dynamite. He's going to be with a new hairdo. I'm not sure if he's going to be all the way bald or he's going to try some new type of fashion statement with his hair. But... Hugh's he head will have been uh, at least shaved some bit. Um, and that's the end of AEW Dynamite. And I don't think I have any more to say to you guys about Wrestling Highlights of the Week. We just got to see uh, Monday Night Raw the next, within the next couple of days to see what happens there. And I'll be back with you guys whenever that happens on the next Saturday's episode of Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And... Um, yeah, let me give you my social media links. So before you guys head up out of here on Twitter, you can find me at, at my 2 podcast On Instagram, you can find me at my2centspodcastg2. And for emails, uh, if you want to message me about anything, if you are in a down statement, if you feel uh, like nobody's there to talk to you and you just want to talk to somebody about anything, and if you think that nobody's there to listen to you. I am here always at all times. I am always checking my emails to see if somebody's emailed me so I can uh, reply to them or just be their own wall that they could just spout their problems to. Because trust me, we are all going through this world. We are all living in this planet and we're all just trying to make it day by day. And I just want everybody to please be able to uh, continue living and not try to transition over into this world uh, voluntarily. So, for any type of uh, purposes that you want to email me for, my email is uh, my 2 cents pod at yahoo.com. Again, it's my 2 cents pod at yahoo.com. And for all these social media links, it's not T-W-O or T-O-O. You put the number 2 in all these links. And if you want to listen to future episodes of this podcast or past episodes of this podcast, you can find them at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, PodBeam, Apple Music, and Audible. I'm still surprised on Audible, but it's on Audible. And um, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. This has been the Saturday version of my podcast where I talk about professional wrestling. You can turn in. You can tune in tomorrow where I talk about anything in the news uh, that's happened throughout this week or something that I just found fascinating to me that I just want to just give my opinions on. And I also will still be giving my opinions on uh, the news as well. But with that being said, this is not goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. Remember, I do love you all. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to even listen to me just talk about professional wrestling to you and give you the highlights of each uh, show. And, uh, again, I do love you all. I hope you have a blessed Saturday. I hope you conquer whatever you want to conquer this Saturday. And if you don't listen to me Sunday, I hope you have a blessed week, an amazing week. And I hope you come back next Saturday to listen to some uh, wrestling highlights from me again. But, again, I love you all. This is This and Goodbye. This is until you hear from the Sweet sounding Voice. Uh, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast hosted by G2 and I have been him and he is I and I love you all and Kanye can you please send these people out I'm tired, you tired uh-huh. Jesus yeah, wept